Good evening, you are listening to Radio Maria and this is our Diving Deeper programme and this evening we are doing part four of Dominic McDermott's series on listening to God and personally I can't wait for this one. So um, welcome Dominic, it's lovely to have you back. It's lovely to be here again, really looking forward to this. Yeah, thank you so much. So this is part four. So for those of us, for those who probably maybe missed the first three and wanted to catch up, what would they be? Right. So we've been looking at hearing God through dreams, visions and signs. And last week, I also shared a little bit about getting confirmation of those things. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll do a little bit more tonight on signs, really, to wrap up this teaching. It'll finish tonight. And then we'll do one more on a, as a prophecy workshop next week. So it's just a bit more on prompts tonight. Prompts. Wonderful. I love the sound of that already. So I'll leave it over to you. (laughs) Okay. So um, last time I was sharing about um, a key principle of hearing from God. Simple obedience is the key to divine revelation. And I shared at the end of the show how I um, learned this right from the start. Uh, because uh, before I believed God was real, I said, show me you're real in a way that will totally convince me, typical atheist, you know, and I'll, I'll give my whole life, I'll do whatever you desire. And so he did just that, because he knew I was totally sincere in what I said. So that's what brought me into a life of working with God, and, and I, he showed himself on a road to Walsingham, and, and I shared this on the testimony program, The Awakenings, that you have it, um, earlier. But um, and then the following year, he came to me and said, uh, you know, I want you to remember what you said. And, and uh, I said, what I wanted to say at that point is, well, that's why I didn't think you were real, Lord. But I didn't dare. So I said, yes. And he said, I want you to pack in your job and, and come and work for me. <laughs> so he takes us very seriously, takes us very, very seriously. So I tried to be obedient from that moment on, the things he showed me. And the more promptly you try and obey everything you know from God, more God will speak to you clearly in the future. Now, that's clearly quite relevant to how we read Scripture. Um, There was a great prophet in the UK, a guy called Graham Cook. I think he's moved to America now. And people were always coming up to him and asking him for a word. Well, one day at the Spirit's prompting, when a lady came up to him and asked him for a word from God, he told her to stretch out both her hands. When she did them, he sort of put a Bible in them and said, here, have a whole book full. And when she objected that she wanted something more personal, he put the book back in her hand and said, every word in there is personal to you. Are you already obeying everything you've already been given in there? Yeah, tough call really. But if we're not trying to live obediently to the word of God in scriptures and diligently searching them for revelation and understanding, then God in his love won't burden us with still more revelation through dreams or signs or visions. Now, don't believe that, that because we often fail in our obedience, that God won't speak to us then. He doesn't wait for perfection, or I most definitely would never receive anything from him. All he requires is that we are doing what we can, and remember, he's paid for all the rest. So getting back to confirmation, which is what I was speaking about at the end of last time. If God seems to be saying, speak only encouraging words today, You can act on it straight away, as it's in line with much of the scriptures. But if he seems to be saying something like, give half of all you earn to the church, then because obedience to that would have major consequences in your life, it's going to require a lot of confirmation. And confirmation can come 
in the same way that the original word came. But for major words, major hearing from God, it's good to ask God to give you something that's objective, i.e. not your ability to, to affect it. For example, if you flick through the Bible until you find a scripture that seems to support what you feel you're hearing, then that can't be accepted as a confirming word. If, however, someone approaches you and says, without knowing anything about your situation, I feel the Lord's asking you to give financially at a new and much deeper level, then this would act as a confirming word. Now, everything that God says to us will at all times coincide with Scripture. So anything that doesn't, we don't need to waste time on seeking for confirmation. For example, if God seems to be saying, it's okay for me to sleep with my neighbor's wife, I don't need to bother looking for confirmation, since this is clearly at odds with the scriptures. You will not commit adultery, etc., etc. So it's not from God, no matter how strongly it may seem to be. To give you a really extreme example of this, I was invited to speak about the subject of hearing from God to a group of witches. They called themselves a, a pagan contact group. Uh, and uh, I, I, I did two talks with them, remarkably. I thought after the first one, they perhaps wouldn't invite me back, but they were genuinely looking for, for um, yeah, to get on with the supernatural, I suppose. And, and I was sharing about visions. And then one of these uh, uh, pagans, who I knew was a witch, um, said, oh, I, I have visions too. And I said, oh, yeah. <laughs> and she said, what, about Jesus? And I said, oh, I'll, I'll go on then. She said, yeah, I saw Jesus standing there, you know, just like you'd expect with a beard and the, the clothes and everything, long hair and holding a Bible in his hand. I'm thinking, well, oh, that sounds good. And, and then he, and the Bible was open. I'm thinking, well, that's very good. And she said, and then he closed the book up, threw the Bible over his shoulder and said, don't listen to that book. Just do exactly what I tell you. I said, that's a very interesting vision. Uh, of course, it wasn't Jesus. She said, what do you mean it wasn't Jesus? I said, well, I know Jesus, and, and he loves his word and would never disrespect it like that. And she said, my visions are as good as your visions. You can't tell me that wasn't. I said, yeah, of course I can. It's, suppose you told me I, you saw my mum down in town sort of swearing at one of the stallholders in the market. I said, oh, that, that wasn't my mum. You, you've got a mistake. How do you know? Well, I know my mum. She never swears. It's just not her. She'd never do it. And in the same way, I know what Jesus would and wouldn't do. I know him. And she was a bit cross about that, but, but it's, it's, if you know uh, the scriptures, then you'll know what's in line, and it, it helps. You don't have to go, you know, a great work of discernment. I didn't have to do any sort of careful spiritual discerning. It clearly wasn't Jesus. But because she didn't have that background, she couldn't tell. Now, just because something does line up with scripture, it still doesn't necessarily mean that it has come from God. Uh, the enemy knows scripture too and is not above using it to try and mislead us. Remember when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by the devil and he responds to the first attack with, with a bit of scripture. Well, the devil comes and quotes scripture right back at him. He knows the Bible too. Um, so even though what he was saying the second time lined up with scripture and it, he was quoting it directly, Jesus counted with other scriptures because he wasn't going to have it. You know, uh, uh, doesn't the Bible say that the enemy was saying, you know, um, he will protect you and keep you safe, quoting Psalm 91, and Jesus comes back with something else. So just because it lines up with Scripture, it doesn't mean it's from God. And remember, Paul was being followed around um, by a, a, a medium who kept declaring, these men are, are, are preaching about the one true God, and 
and he silenced her because although what she was saying was true it wasn't coming from the enemy from god it was coming from the enemy to try and cause trouble so scripture then acts as an overriding compass or direction finder it can also be used as a knife to cut away any messages that are definitely not from god like throw away this Bible and don't, don't listen to it, just listen to my voice in that uh, dodgy witch's vision. But then those that might be, that, that are in line with Scripture, we still need to do have a bit of confirmation. And how can you confirm them? Well, you confirm them against other words of Scripture. You can confirm them by wise counsel from Christian friends we trust and leaders and spiritual directors and so on, or, or members of the church you, you know are trustworthy and also by signs and visions and dreams. And also by the fact that they may fall in line with what God has already spoken to us. Very often God will build up his, um, his message to you over time, and it's, it's made up of a mosaic of different words here and different pictures there. Now, you know scripture can be of two sorts. Um, generally it can be the, the logos, the word of God, but occasionally it will also be the Rema, or word of God for, for now for us. That's Rema, R-H-E-M-A, the now word for us. And an example of that is the, uh, like the Chinese thief who longed for a better life as a Christian, but knew he wasn't strong enough to resist stealing. So one day in desperation, he went into a church, something he'd never tried before, and knelt down before a crucifix and cried out to God for a sign that God would help him to stop stealing. As he opened his eyes, he noticed some stained glass windows, and the light was shining through one section about the Ten Commandments. And there it was written, you will not steal. And the man got to his feet full of joy, told all his friends that he was not going to steal anymore, for Almighty God had promised him that he wouldn't. Now, we know that that word was the Logos word for everybody else. It was just a commandment of God, you will not steal. But for that man, it was a Rima word. It spoke to him into his life, and it is what he was waiting for from God. So a Rima word is for a specific person at a specific time by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and God will most often speak to us in a similar way. Now, before I go on, I think it's about time you had a, a little break for some music. Perfect timing. Um, we have, this is You Say by Lauren Daigle. Um, I love the, the words kind of fit what you're saying in a way in that, you know, you'll hear the world say one thing, but actually God is saying, actually, you are this. Voices in my mind that say I'm not enough Every single lie that tells me I will never measure up Am I more than just the sum of every high and every low Remind me once again just who I am Because I need to know Ooh. 
Radio Maria and this is our Diving Deeper program and this evening we have Dominic McDermott on talking about listening to God. So Dominic, thank you ever so okay. much. My pleasure, my pleasure. So we were talking about scriptures and, and reading scripture and, and let me encourage you if it's not your practice at the moment to read a little bit of scripture every day, I really would encourage you to start, find a way of doing it a devotional or a, a reading plan or something that gives you a little bit of scripture every day. Because as we find that every, every day, if we read a certain piece of scripture, you know, a little, some type of reading plan or whatever, God will use that piece of scripture to speak to you. And we've noticed that over and over again, ream a word straight into your life and in your problems and your difficulties, our hopes and our dreams. He speaks into it through that daily that daily discipline. So, so if you haven't got one, find one. Even if it's only two lines of scripture a day, God somehow will manage to speak to you through those two lines, which is quite incredible that he manages it. Now, often it will seem that um, it's like somebody is highlighting the words you're reading, like with one of those you know, bright yellow fluorescent markers. It will be sort of lit up to you. And I was trying to explain this to a young adult's house group once. and One of the girls there was struggling to understand what I meant. Well, she came back a few months later and said, God helped her to get it. And, and I said, well, how? And she said, well, she'd gone home after the group and got herself an actual fluorescent highlighter and started to mark bits in her Bible that seemed particularly important to her, which just wasn't quite what I meant. But anyway, weeks later, she was having a bath with some floating candles. She's a really girly girl and reading her Bible in the bath, which is not always necessarily a good idea. But there anyway, it's a good, good time. You've got to have some time to read. And there was a power cut, you know, all the, all the lights went out. And in the dim light, she could hardly read any more at all. But the candles made the words that she'd underlined in the highlighter shine out in the darkness for her. And they were an answer to something she'd been praying about that day. And all of a sudden, what I was trying to say clicked for her. So now God can speak to her through scriptures by highlighting bits without having to use candles and a power cut and a fluorescent marker. But you'll discover after a while that God really will highlight parts of your, your Bible to you as you read it. 
Okay. So um, another way that, that God speaks to us, um, not the scriptural way perhaps, but it's something I found really interesting is prompts, what I call a prompt, a sense that we should do or say something without really knowing why. Now, the first ever prompt came the week I met Jesus on the road to Walsingham and the pilgrimage I mentioned at the beginning. I'd gone saying, Lord, if you're there, show me your, well, source of all things, show me if you're real. And I, I was going to try and prove that he didn't exist, which is a bit embarrassing when he showed up. But I'd asked my fiance at the time to ask the source of all things, if he existed, for a sign too. So we'd both come back at the end of this pilgrimage and, and we'll be able to say, see, there is no God. We can get on with our lives. And next time somebody Christians come and say, well, what, how do you know there isn't any God? We'd say, ha, we gave him a whole week and he didn't show up. He's clearly not interested. Anyway, so I, I received more than I bargained for when I met Jesus on, the, on the, uh, the road and came home full of joy and excitement and couldn't stop talking about how Jesus is alive, he's real, he's real. And my fiance Alison, had completely forgotten to ask for any kind of sign, but she did that night. She asked for a sign in the mirror, as she'd often been frightened of mirrors as a child and thought that this might fix those memories of bad dreams associated with a mirror. When she was a child, her, her grandma had to cover up mirrors in her room in case you know, something appeared and I didn't know what she was expecting. Anyway, I shared my experience that Jesus was real and then went to have a shower. Then I felt the first ever prompt in my life to make a big cross in the giant mirror we had in the bathroom. Then I opened the window, the steam disappeared, and so did the cross. Well, next morning I was awoken by a shout from Alison and ran to the bathroom because she'd got up and had an early shower and the mirror had steamed up again. The grease from my finger the night before made the cross reappear. She said, did you put this cross on the mirror? She asked, uh, and why would you do that? And, and, and she explained then about asking for a sign in the mirror and there it was. But I couldn't explain why I'd done it. Now I know it was a prompt by the Holy Spirit a prompt by the Holy Spirit, just a sense that you should do something with no rational or sort of logical reason behind it. <clears throat> Another example, when I worked in a prison, well, it was actually two prisons, one an open prison without walls, where our base was as the works department, I was a carpenter in Locksmith, and the other was a category B prison, which was pretty high security. While getting in and out of the cat B prison took a lot of time, as all your tools had to be listed and checked, both going in and coming out. Well, many times as I was packing in, in, in our base in the open prison to go into the closed prison, I'd put the tool bag together and I knew exactly what I'd need and I'd have a prompt to take some other tool. But I, I didn't bother. I thought, well, I don't need that tool. I know what the job is. I've done it a hundred times. I don't need that tool. It's be an extra weight to carry around all afternoon, so I wouldn't bother. Um, and over and over again, I'll be halfway through the job and find coincidentally, I just so happen to need the very tool I've been prompted to take. Remember what I said about recognizing the work of God by things happening more often than they, should, than they should. Well, I finally learned the lesson and started paying attention to these prompts, much of the, to the bemusement of my colleagues who would say, if only we had a certain tool on the job and I would pull that exact tool out of my bag, and then explain about prompts to try to explain why I'd got it in there. Learning to pay attention to the prompting of the Holy Spirit is a learning process. So don't worry if sometimes you get it wrong. Occasionally I would bring along a tool and I didn't need it. 
but mostly the prompts turned out to be very helpful. Now, charismatics would describe a prompt as a kind of word of knowledge, i.e. knowing something without being able to say how you know it. In this case, knowing you need a tool that in advance you can't explain rationally. Sometimes going to a prayer meeting, the boss will prompt me to take something along. In one instance, for example, I, I was prompted to take a sword along. Now, I just happened to have a sword at home as we used to reenact battles when I was a youngster. Remember, I was, I was called to intercessory spiritual warfare, but I wasn't a Christian. So, so how, do you, how do you act out you know, warfare and, and a, a call to battle when you're not, you don't want to hurt people and, and you're not a Christian? Well, we dressed up as knights and Vikings and hit each other with axes and swords. Anyway, so I stopped that when I got to know the Lord. He told me I had to leave it behind, so I did. I still had a sword sitting in my front room. I was a bit embarrassed to walk into a prayer meeting with a sword, so I had it wrapped up in a long bag, which I left at the back of the hall. Halfway through the prayer meeting, someone had a strong prophetic word that God was going to give this church we were meeting in a new anointing to use the sword of the Spirit, which I'm sure you know is the word of God from Ephesians 6.17, and that God would confirm this with further signs. Well, at that point, I was able to bring out the sword and, that I'd taken along and explain I'd been prompted to bring it without knowing why, but now understood that it was confirmed the word we had just heard. So pay attention to prompts. The more obedient you are to them, the more God will use them to help you out, and not just you. Very often when God has a message that he would like to give to somebody, a prophetic word, I, I first have a prompt to speak to them. So it can be a, an early warning system to let you know that God is wanting to speak to somebody. So my next thing is then, all right, Lord, I'll speak to him about what you want me to say. Um, and as I said, next uh, week we'll do a prophecy workshop, uh, and that will conclude the teaching on hearing from God through dreams and signs and visions. And, and we'll actually learn how to mechanically get a word from the Lord. Uh, so that at least you've got a, a feel for hearing from him and speaking it for somebody else, a prophetic word. And for the workshop next time, you'll need a pen and a paper and the name of someone you would like to give a prophetic word or message from God to. Okay. I think you're due another piece of music in there. I think we are. So we are going to play Oceans, um, Where Feet May Fail by Hillsong United. Um yeah, so God is really encouraging you to go deeper and this song is, it says that. You call me out upon the waters The great unknown Where feet may fail I find you in the mystery In oceans deep My faith will stay to Radio Maria and this is our Diving Deeper program with Dominic McDermott talking about 
listening to God. So welcome back, Dominic. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I was just um, thinking back over the weeks I've been sharing stuff about hearing God through dreams and visions and signs. Uh, and one of the things, uh, and I missed a few things out just because of time, I'd like to just uh, uh, go back to them if that's possible. So the first thing is, somebody once said to me, Dom, how did you get into interpreting dreams? It's such a strange thing to do. And I, I sort of, you know, as a student studying artificial intelligence and, and believed that the mind was just a processing, you know, a computer effectively. And so dreams are just a froth that was, was being, you know, generated along the way and of no importance at all until I had a dream. And here was a dream that got me as a Christian uh, looking at this stuff. I, I dreamt that I was in South or Central America because of all the jungle around me. Um, and I could see a city out in the, uh, the distance, and the city had lots of smoke coming up from it and a dirty brown river running out of it. It was uh, right in front of me, quite a wide river, uh, fast-flowing. And there was lots of rubbish floating down in this river. It was quite unpleasant coming out of the, out of the city. And after a while, I noticed amongst the rubbish, there were bodies of, of young people, uh, and young uh, boys and girls in sort of fairly ragged clothes, um, and, uh, and even worse, these uh, youngsters, um, the dead bodies had plastic bags over their heads, you know, quite a disturbing dream. Uh, and then one of the bodies moved. And I thought, oh my goodness, not only, they're not just dumping bodies, there's, there's alive people in there as well. So I jumped into this, this river up to my chest in water and was fighting my way across the river current, trying to catch these dead bodies to see if I could save any who were you know, still alive. Um, but the current was too strong, and I had to get back onto the, the riverbank. And I was running around like a headless chicken, shouting, what can we do? What can we do? And I was there with some of my community people in the dream. Uh, and I turned back to the, I was sort of thinking about getting a net or a, a rope or something. And I turned back towards the, the side of the riverbank, and Jesus was standing on the bank of the river. And as calm as anything, he looked at me and said, you must learn Spanish. And I woke back up and, and, and thought, oh, what a load of old rubbish. How's Spanish going to help you know, pull people out of the river? You crazy dreams, you know. Just, and, and I tried to forget all about it. But all that day, that dream kept coming back to me again and again and again. And, and I just thought, well, that just proves how stupid dreams are. They don't mean anything. And then, um, and then in the evening, I was in the pub, and a friend of ours had gone to a community meeting in St. Albans. So it was a, a meeting of a community called the Upper Room Community. Well, he came back and he said, oh, Don, you should have come. There was this brilliant speaker. He'd been working out in South America. Or, and my ears sort of pricked up a bit because this, this dream was sort of still with me. And he said, uh, and he, this guy was working with street kids. You know, and I said, what do you mean? You know, he said, well, kids, homeless kids living out on the street. He said, it's awful. Out there, some of the, 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 the militia, the military and policemen shoot the kids. I said, no, they don't, you know, shooting kids. He said, yeah, they treat them like rats, like vermin, and try and shoot them. And he said, you know, it was horrible. He said, but they hide in the sewers during the day, and then they come out at night, like the rats do, you know, to, to try and keep away from these army guys. I said, that's awful. And he said, what's worse is, he said, they, they find glue, and they steal it if they can, and get it in plastic bags, polythene bags, and put these over their heads to get some kind of uh, a buzz to get through the day. And he said, some of them, you know, get knocked out and killed by this. Some fall into the rivers, the sewers, and are washed away. I said, what? I said, I dreamt this last night. 
And he looked at me like really strangely. I said, how, how did you dream this? You, you haven't heard it. And I said, but I did. I dreamt it. I, I, I said, what, what, do they, what language do they speak in this place? And he said, oh, he told me it was um, Spanish. And I said, oh, I've got to go. I've got to go. And, and, and he said, well, what's, what's that? I said, look, I've, I've got to, something's really bothering me. So I, I went out of the pub and I said, Lord, was this you? Did you give me a dream? He said, yes. I said, well, you want me to learn Spanish? And he said, yes. I said, what, now? He said, no. I said, well, when? He said, you'll know. There'll be a sign. So every, every year after that, I asked, should I learn Spanish? Not, no, no, not yet, not yet. Should I learn Spanish? Not, no, not yet. This went on for years and years. And then somebody in the prison my work, so a lot of years later, um, gave me a, um, a book about uh, Guatemala, Central America, Guatemala, about street kids. And, and I read it and understood by the time I'd finished it, I'm supposed to go and work with these street kids in Guatemala. I knew nothing about Guatemala apart from this book. Um, but um, I knew that this was it. That's what I was supposed to do. And, and the, the, the charity that was working with them at the time, this book was about, was called the Toy Box Charity. And anyway, and, then, and it, it so happened that they were based sort of eight miles from my home in a church where I'd done some youth work in before when I was a youth worker. I thought, it's incredible. You know, so it's, it's Guatemala law. That's why they speak Spanish in Guatemala. Okay. And then uh, a friend of mine um, had been to a charity auction and, and had actually um, bid for a jacket in this prison. He bid for a jacket. He's another one of the workers, a painter there. And, it, and he said, Dom, do you need a jacket at the moment? I said, well, yes, it happens. I just happened to be short of a jacket. I was going to buy one. He said, well, I bid for one in an auction for a charity, but I don't think I'll ever wear it. Would you like it? It's your size. I said, yeah, sure. Why wouldn't you wear it? He said, well, it's a bit colorful. Well, he brought it in. It was a bit colorful was an understatement. This was a South American multicolored jacket. It was pink and blue and green and yellow and orange. But I loved all those colors. And I thought, yeah, I'll wear that jacket. When I brought it home, my wife said, you're not going to wear that jacket. I had, yeah. So I wore the jacket. But after I'd worn that jacket, and the Lord started speaking to me about Joseph's jacket, you know, the jacket that his father gave him, the multicolored jacket. It was a thing of pride that the father put on his son. And it took God 20 years of prison and so on to get it off him. So I understood what he was saying. You know, so be careful with your pride with all this dream interpretation stuff. But later on, interestingly, it's not about the dream interpretation, but I looked in the um, years, I said, Lord said, look in the lining of the jacket. And I thought, look in the lining. And there was an old mangled old label in there. I never bothered looking at it. He said, read it. And it said, sold to raise funds for the toy box charity. So I had been wearing this jacket all this time uh, that had been sold to raise money for the people I'm supposed to eventually go and work with in Guatemala. So really weird stuff. But anyway, um, I still hadn't learned Spanish, and, and this went on and on. And eventually I had a, a prophetic word for a young man in our church. And I went and saw him and gave him this prophetic word. It was something to do with how he received the Eucharist. Very beautiful. Um, and uh, when I was there, he said, well, I'm glad you've come because I've got a prophetic word for you. And I said, well, if you have, why didn't you share it? I mean, is it? Is it just come this minute? He said, no, I've had it for months. I said, well, hang on. Yeah, why didn't you tell me? Come and tell me. He said, well, I'm not sure it's God. It's crazy, but it won't leave me alone. I said, well, give it a go. Come on, what is it? It can't be that crazy. He said, <laughs> he said I think, yeah, I think God wants you to uh, 
Uh, I said, go on, spit it out. He said, I think God wants you to learn Spanish. And I said, yeah, that's God. He said, really? I said, I've been waiting for that word for 20 years. He said, you've not. I said, yeah, really? I told him all about the, the, the jacket and the, the dream. And So that dream got me into knowing that God can use dreams to speak to us. And because it was so clear, it was clearly Jesus in it and all the rest, I started paying attention to dreams. And it was that paying attention to dreams that got me that, that uh, experience of the vision that I shared, the first ever major vision I'd had, which was about the small earth and the eagles and the, the army in Ukraine, which I shared uh, a few weeks back. So um, that's, that's how I got into the whole thing, that God can speak to us in, in dreams. And I, although it's written there in the scriptures, I, I thought, well, that was for you know, Bible days. I didn't think he was still going to do that stuff today. Even though quite clearly he says, you know, in, in, in Acts, Peter says that in you know, those days, your young men will dream dreams, your old men will see visions and so on. So uh, I should have taken it seriously, but I didn't until then. So that's how I got into the dream interpretation in the first place. And I think... Uh, you, you're due another song before I share a little bit of another vision I had to share with you. We are. So this song is The Father's Song by Matt Redman. I have heard so many songs Listen to a thousand tongues But there is one that sounds above them all The Father's song, the Father's love You sung it over me and for eternity It's written on my heart Heaven's perfect melody The Creator's symphony You are singing over me The Father's song Heaven's perfect mystery The King of Love has sent for me you're singing over me the Father's song I have heard so many songs listen to a thousand tongues but there is one that sounds above them all sounds above them all the Father's song, the Father's love You sung it over me and for eternity It's written on my heart Heaven's perfect melody The Creator's symphony singing over me the father's song heaven 
most perfect mystery. The King of Love has sent for me, and now you're singing over me. The Father Son. It's heaven's perfect mystery. The King of Love has sent for me, and now you're singing over me the Father's song. The Father's song, the Father's love. You sung it over me and for eternity. It's written on my heart. It's written on my heart. You sing it over me, Father. That was the Father's song by Matt Redman. You are listening to Diving Deeper. And this evening we have Dominic McDermott talking to us about listening to God. And so far it's just been fascinating and wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Long may this continue. <laughs> Over to you. Okay, thank you. So just a beautiful song. So thank you very much for that. And it reminded me of something which I, I wanted to share too. I, I told you some time ago in the section on visions about the small earth vision of you know, seeing uh, Jesus raising up an army in Ukraine and how that, that uh, prompted me to go out and start working in Ukraine to, to teach the leaders of communities hearing from God through dreams, visions, and signs. Um, but one bit of the dream I didn't really understand, and it was the eagles that flew from the army into the West where this dark army was creeping into Europe under cover of darkness, this evil army. And I never understood what the eagles were doing. Well, one day I'm walking in the woods with a friend of mine, a community leader from Slovakia, and we're talking about the church and all this. And he said, ah, I had a vision. You're into visions. Let me share this with you. And his vision, he said, he, he and the rest of his community were climbing up the side of a mountain. Some of them had broken legs or broken arms or sprained wrists. But none, with, together they were managing to get up this mountain very slowly and in the shadow of the mountain and it was dark and and they clambered finally slowly uh, up to the, the summit and as they came over the brow of the mountain the top of the mountain the other side was in brilliant sunshine and instead of a steep rocky um, cliff they climbed up the other side was a smooth sloping um, Swiss type meadow you know with uh, wildflowers and, and and they holding hands started walking down through this meadow in this bright warm sunshine and the sunshine healed all their wounds and so they their energy came back and they they began to laugh and and, and run a little bit and then faster and faster and laughing and, and and running forward at full pelt down the side of this slope 
and loving it. And when they came to the, uh, the edge of the, the slope, it dropped away in a cliff. They knew they could just leap off and fly. They were so filled with this energy and faith. And they did precisely that. They leapt off and they, as they took off from the edge of the cliff, they became eagles. So instead of holding hands, they were, they were touching wingtips to wingtips. And they glided down through uh, the, the valleys, down through the mountains. And they were just soaring in, on this, in this brilliant sunshine and blue sky. And then loving every minute of it. And as they, as they came down through a, a cloud cover underneath them, underneath the cloud, there was darkness in the valley below. And there they saw a huge army. Uh, um, battling an evil army, battling against the Christian army, and the Christian army was being flattened. You know, there were guys who were, were fighting were on the floor. You know, they hadn't even got most of their armor. Most of them hadn't got shields. Only a few of them had swords, and they were just losing badly, stuck in the mud and in a real bad shape. But as they flew up, flew up to this battle, all these eagles, the, the enemy started running away. They actually frightened, and they realized they were giant size compared to the enemy. And the, these other leaders, and they picked up uh, the leaders who were on the floor and took them back up the mountain into the sunshine. And as they came into the sunshine, the same thing happened to the leaders as happened to them. They started to be healed and restored. And now he said, that's, you know, it's amazing, but I don't know what this sunshine was, but that our, the job of the eagles is to bring these guys up into the place. The mountain is an image of closeness to God. You know, you're top of the mountain, it's a mountain experience of God. And the sunshine, what is that? And I said, well, I believe it's the Father's heart, the unconditional love of the Father. And he said, yes, I felt, felt the same. That guy is now head of the Father's heart ministry in Slovakia. And has, it has been transforming the nation of Slovakia. Um, one, of the, one of the bishops uh, said, from now on, all my priests going through ceremony, Seminary must go through the Father's heart teaching, a week's long teaching, because it's so important. <laughs> so he's brought it about, he's made it happen. So what was, why was this relevant? So the Father's heart, that song we just heard, beautiful song, when you know that you're loved unconditionally, that you're not loved because of what you do for God, how well you pray, how often you go to Mass, how, how, how many scriptures you know, that he loves you because he loves you because he made you. It's unconditional. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you any less. Our sins won't diminish how much he loves us. Now, he doesn't like what we do sometimes, but he loves us just the same. And the first time that I, I, I got that, you know, I understood that. I was sitting um, when my, my eldest daughter was just about one year old. You know, she's just old enough to sit with little chubby legs out in front of her watching TV maybe not even one yet. And, and I was supposed to be sitting, working behind her, keeping an eye on her. And she wasn't doing anything, just sitting there. And I realized for 20 minutes, I had done nothing at all. I had just stared at the back of her head and loved her. I loved the way she scratched her ear. I loved the way she put her head slightly on one side to watch this stupid TV program that was on the TV. And, and out of nowhere, the Lord said to me, that's how I love you. And I thought, what? I'd been working my socks off crazy hours to try and earn the love from God that I discovered on that road to Walsingham. That he loved me and treasured me, though I deserved none of it. And so I'd been trying to be worthy of that love. I was trying to earn the love that I already had. 
and that released me from that effort. And I realized I didn't have to do anything to make him love me. He loved me just because he made me. He loves each of you in exactly that way. So if you're looking at your life and thinking, you know, how could God love me? It's, I, I'm not up to much as a Christian. Or I don't, I'm not like these people you read about who do all these great things. Don't believe it. That's a lie of the enemy. He loves you to pieces because he made you. There's nothing you can do to make him love you anymore. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any less because he loves you totally. And that song, so that Father's Heart song, just brought it all back to me. You know, that's, so that's why I wanted to share with you that, that, that part of the vision. So we've worked hard to help people come to a place of daily experiencing the unconditional love of God. Because when you do that, what can the enemy do to you? You can say, well, call yourself a Christian. You think God still loves you after what you did last week? And you say, yes. What I did doesn't affect his love for me at all. What can he say? He hates it when we know how loved we are. So one thing I want you, I would love you to hear from God. And the first thing you would hear from him, if you really were listening in, is how much he treasures you, how much he loves you. His words to us are always upbuilding. And how do you recognize a word from God more than anything else? It's the flavor of them. The flavor of a word from God is, will build you up make you feel good now one of the one of the words i had i, I shared that graham cook once i think gave me an incredible um, prophetic word and and in it it took me two years to realize that god had gently told me off he talked it spoke about me with a big sword in the scabbard and it took me two years to realize a sword shouldn't be in the scabbard if you're in a battle <laughs> Just, I was so proud. I said, I've got a big sword in the scabbard, and you know. And then I suddenly thought one day, hang on, that's not a good place. For, <laughs> that's not a good place for your sword in a battle. But he had done it so gently. I was built up by it until I was ready to deal with the fact that I wasn't using this sword that he'd given me. So even if God has to, to deal with us over something, He'll do it so gently. So if you hear anything that isn't gentle like that, it's not from God. He loves us too much to crush us with his word and he wants to build us up and encourage us and all the words we receive from other people will be on the same lines. They'll be positive and encouraging and life-giving. And that's how you know it's a word from God. Amen. Can I pray for you before we go because I don't want to run you over time? Of course, always. <laughs> all right. So, Father, thank you for this time and this uh, five teachings four so far and one to come next week on hearing God, hearing you through dreams and visions and signs. Lord, I wanted to share that last bit because I know you delight yourself in your people. You love us with an unbelievable love. And most of us will never grasp how deeply you love us. Father, you gave your son for us because you love us so much. And you will not deny us anything that will be a blessing for us since. Help us to receive that knowledge that we are loved unconditionally. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've, where we've been, no matter how far away we feel from you, you don't move from us. Lord, give us that understanding through dreams and visions and signs and words until we can walk in the daily joy of your presence, your closeness, your friendship, your care for us. I ask this, Father, in Jesus' mighty name, Amen. 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 Well, thank you ever so much. I mean, really, that was just 
a wonderful teaching. Thank you so much for all of that, all the wonderful stories, and they just bring these things alive. And that's what we need. So thank you ever so much. And I'm already looking forward to part five next week. God bless you. Thank you very much. God bless. Fire